0: Area 10 Faith Community meets in the Historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia at 9.30 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope you'll be able to join us, but in the meantime, enjoy this recording of last week's message. I, I don't know if you guys saw it, but somewhere lost in the shuffle over the holidays and stuff over the last, uh, last month or so. There was a, a an art installation, an art piece that that showed up in Miami, and and it became kind of internet famous or something like that. Um, I saw it, and I wanted to show it to you. It's called Banana Tape to the Wall. Now I don't I don't know that officially it's called banana. It might just be banana on the wall. There, I don't know duct. I don't know if duct tape's in the title, but uh, it was banana tape to the wall. And uh, this was at an art art gallery, a modern art gallery in Miami, um, and uh, the. Partly, it's just, okay, it's duct tape with a banana, and that, that's weird enough as it is. Um, but the, another part of it that's pretty weird is that someone purchased it for $120,000. So I have a few questions about that. Some One, you, don't you have something better to spend your money on? Just there's, That's my first question, like, why? What are you doing? Uh, but good for you. You have 120, you can blow on this. But, okay, that's one question. But other questions are, isn't this a perishable uh, art installation? Like, at what point do you feel like your $120,000 investment has gone downhill, like that it's gonna, you're like, I bought a yellow banana, this one's now brown, and like, there's just there's the issues there. It's just, it's gross. And then, um, so that, that's the question I have. Also, um, if the art installation's on the wall and you spend $120,000, do you have to provide your own wall, or does the wall come with it? Like, is that part of the piece? Uh, and look, Uh, I know lots of people went and got art degrees at VCU. I know it's a thing. And praise some of you in this room. And look, let me just disclaim right now. There are parts of modern art that I really appreciate. And there's some things that are like, God, that's really cool. And I could see what they were going for and the the thoughtfulness behind it. Um, And then there are other things that, and maybe this is one of them, where I'm a little puzzled. Uh, I'm, I'm just, and I don't know if it's like, I want to be like, the emperor has no clothes, or or like, it, it's it's sort of like when people are like, this is a hundred dollar bottle of wine, and you drink it, and you're like, I like the yellowtail that's five dollars. <laughs> like, I don't know, is this better? Is this ten times better? I can't tell. I don't know. So maybe it's that. Maybe it's my taste, whatever. But I thought, this is, this is insane. And actually, you can look it up, and there's a guy, a performance artist, who ripped it off the wall and started eating it. I don't know if he owes that person now 120 grand. I don't know how that works. Um, but I thought, man, if this is it, I can do this. So I decided to try my hand at this art as well. Um, and so I've made my own. I wanted to show you. I did a little bit of work. Uh I thought the blue is aggressive. I think it's, it's stronger. Um, I don't know how you feel. I questioned whether the organic banana was the right banana for the, the piece, but there it is. Um, and so I did that, but, I, but then I thought, let's not stop with the banana. There are other, other things that would look wonderful taped to wall. I like apples also, so there's an apple, uh, duct tape. It doesn't sit as cleanly, but you know, there it is. And I was like, we don't need to just do fruits. We could do other things. So I tried a hot dog. Uh, hot dog against the wall. Uh, y'all make it fun, but these are going to be 10 grand a piece. I I I'm a steep. You can buy one off of me for um, and then my son and I were like, let's take this to another level. And so <laughs> we did that. Uh, that one's not for sale, but the others you can have. Uh and it's just weird, right? Um, it's one of those things that when you hear the price paid and you see what it was, you, you got to go, even if you're like the greatest art lover in the world, you got to go like, for real? For real? Like, is this serious? Are you seriously charging that money or did someone really pay that for that? Like, and, and for real is a phrase we use when we're incredulous about something. I can't believe it. So a friend will tell you a story and you're like, for real? Did that actually happen? For real? Is, is this happening right now? Like, that's a phrase that we use, we use when, we're, when we're unsure. And there's lots of things that make us say uh, for real. Um, I, I actually saw another one recently, thanks to the interwebs. There's all sorts of for real moments you can have when you look at things. Uh, I found this one of a skateboarder that I wanted to show you. Check this one out. All right, um, I don't know if you noticed, but he's blind, <laughs> and I'm like, whoa! How can he do that? That is amazing what he's doing. Uh, to, to that, those tricks are hard enough to do. I showed it to my son, who's a skateboarder, and I, I, I basically showed him to and I'm like, why can't you do this? You know, like, you should be able to, you know. Uh, it's funny. Um, uh, at least that's what I thought I said to him. He read my sermon before I got up here, and he said, no, dad, when you showed me that video clip, you, your words to me were, uh, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm a little intense as a dad. It's every parent's responsibility to give their children something to tell their therapist one day, and that is what I'm doing. Um, but, but it's one of those things where you go for real, and so I wanted to start off this new series that we're, we're going to do here for five weeks called For Real, and I want to look at some things that are going to help us grow in our faith, some, some practices, some, some mindsets, some things we can do, some things to think through that will help us grow and change in, in, in 2020, um, and we're going to, to do that, we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is something Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's recorded in the New Testament. It is one of the most famous teachings in all of the world history, maybe the most famous Um, and it is uh, really powerful and he says a lot of things that his original audience and maybe you too when you hear them you will go for real are we really supposed to do that is God really that way is that really how the system works Jesus is trying to teach us something about who we are and who God is and how we relate and and what it means to be in 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 this life with God and there's definitely some for real things Um, and and here's why I want to do this at the beginning of the year At the beginning of a year, and especially the beginning of uh, uh, January, and maybe at the beginning of a new decade, we're in our twenties now. So that's that's amazing, right? We're uh, the Roaring Twenties. Here we come. At the beginning of the year, a lot of people get into this mode of like, you want to change, you want to grow, you want, I'm going to, this is the year I'm going to lose 10 pounds and I'm going to change my hair and I'm going to get this new job and I'm going to, the relationship we're going to break up or I'm going to start dating or whatever. Like we got these things that we all want to change about our life and we want to make things better. And we're going to talk about that dynamic in February and beyond in a new series. But for now, before you get to that, um, I think you got to ask some questions because when you say I want to change, the the obvious question, the the follow-up question should be change into What? What are you trying to become? Like, how many idealistic people are like, I just want to change the world? Cool. What do you want to change it into? You ever thought about that? No, I just want to change it. Well, all right. I mean, but to what? That's a question of meaning and purpose. Like, what am I trying to become? Before we talk about how we change, the dynamics of that, we'll, we'll get into transformation of the minds and things in, in February and March. Before we get to that, let's talk about our meaning and purpose. Like, what are, what are we trying to do? And, and this is where Jesus is, is is very good, because the question is not a new question. Yes, uh, a society that has a lot of money, relatively, like our culture does, if you're not out hunting and gathering your meals, you have some free time. And in that free time, you can ask questions of meaning and purpose. If you're, like, hunting for your meal tonight, you don't have time for those kind of questions. But, but even in the ancient world, people... Um, Wondered about what, what they were here for, what the purpose was. Um, and they didn't necessarily say, like, what's my meaning in, in my life? The, the, the idea in the first century, at least in the Greco Roman world and in the Jewish context where Jesus is going to teach, uh, the question is, like, what is the good life? What does it mean to have a good life? What, is, what do I need to do to live a good life? How do I become a good person? And in many ways, that's the question that Jesus' teaching answers, and that's exactly where he goes with his teaching. And so I want us to look at it. Um, he delivers his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in about the year 25 AD in Galilee. Galilee is a, a, a lake uh, called the Sea of Galilee, but it's a lake in northern Israel, and around it are these towns and villages, um, and there's a lot of fishing there, there's farming, um, and in, in that area, uh, he walks around, the, all around that region, and people come from all over to hear him teach. And he delivers this famous teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, and But to understand it, you can't just look at what he says. You have to understand the context. And this is always true when we read the Scripture Do a little bit of work and dig in and understand the context. He didn't say it to modern Americans. It's applicable to us, but that's not his original audience. Understand the audience. And so the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I want to back up to Matthew 4, the end of it, so you see who he was talking about and to when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 4, start with verse 25. We'll put it up on the screen. And he went, Jesus, he went, throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction, every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from above the Jordan. So so you get a sense of who he's uh, about to talk to, uh, by understanding what the crowd was like. The Decapolis is looking at these 10 cities around Galilee. And even beyond, Jerusalem's about almost 100 miles away. Uh, Judea, that whole region. Syria's out a ways. All these people are coming to be around Jesus. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, if you are desperate, you need a healing. If Modern medicine is amazing. And we can heal a lot of things that people get diseases and and various illnesses and and injuries, we can heal that stuff with modern medicine. It's incredible. Between modern medicine, understanding the body, and the body's ability to kind of heal itself, like, there's some cool stuff there. But even in modern medicine, there's so many things that we're just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know how that works. The body just does its thing. Um, In the ancient world, there are many more things that people would have that they have no hope for healing And so the epilepsy or paralysis or leprosy or um, just various diseases, uh, uh, demon possessions are are, a real thing. And so um, there's all these things going on and Jesus is going around healing people. He's teaching them. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's telling them the kingdom of God is near. He's teaching about God, loves them and and all of that stuff. And along with this teaching, he's healing people. And you can imagine if you're desperate, if your kid is sick or if you're sick or your brother or someone in in the ancient world and you hear Jesus is nearby, you can imagine how great that is is. You're like, oh, this guy can actually heal. So, thousands of people are are flocking to this guy in northern Israel to hear his his teaching. And he stands up and he delivers this this message uh, to them. And and so, to know a little bit about them, most of the crowd is Jewish. Uh, Jews in the ancient world, they are, as they are today, they are monotheists, so they believe in one God, the God that we read about in the Old Testament. They wouldn't have called it the Old Testament, it's the Torah. They, they read about that God, and that's their God, that's different than average Roman Empire citizen who believes in all the, the, all the Greco-Roman gods of, you know, Mars and Zeus and Apollo and all that stuff. Um, they, they believe in one God, so that makes them different. Uh, they are, around the Sea of Galilee, people are generally poor. Um, this is an agrarian society, you've got fisher fishermen, farmers. Uh, that, that's, that's the people that live around there. This is not fancy. These are very blue-collar, sort of regular folk. Um, Jesus grew up as one of them. He grew up to Mary and Joseph were not wealthy people. He grew up, um, his father was, describes a carpenter, so that's probably the family business. We think of that carpentry, we think you make wooden tables and stuff, but the actual word in Greek in the New Testament is tekton, which is where we get our word architect, uh, it's probably likely that Jesus was a builder in a sense, um, like a stonemason, because a lot of buildings there are made of stone, not wood. So he's probably some sort of stonemason. So he grew up in sort of regular folk, um, uh, blue collar, uh, hardworking, um, but uh, people who are, who are poor. They're not in the greatest place on earth. I've been to Galilee. It's pretty there. It kind of looks like parts of Northern California to me. Um, it's pretty there, but it's not like the, the center of the universe, you know. It's not like um, some of, it's not the hills by the Mediterranean of the beautiful villas and the, it's not that kind of thing. Um, it, it's okay. And so um, the people who are living in this sort of insignificant place in the, in the Roman Empire, um, Jesus goes to them and he teaches them. Um, and, and so his, his message begins, we, we hear in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1, it says this, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Uh, massive crowds rolling up on Jesus at all times. And the only way to get away from a big crowd like that, you have two options. You can go out on a boat to get away from the crowds. Um, And he did that. And you, you see that at times in the Gospels, him going out on the boat to get away. Or you go up the side of a mountain because on a hillside or mountainside, it's hard for people to kind of get up on you like that. So he goes up to the mountainside and he sits down we're accustomed, we're accustomed to teachers standing while other people sit. So you're sitting, I'm standing. But in Jesus' day, when a, when a rabbi, when a teacher would give his teaching, he would sit down. And it says his disciples came to him. So we know he's talking to his closest followers. But there's probably the crowds around as well. Um, and, and so listen to what he says to them, uh, starting with verse 2. And you've probably heard this before. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now he uses this word blessed. They didn't have a hashtag for it back then. It was just straight up blessed. Uh, Maybe synonymous a little bit with happy is. Like you say, happiness is for the, these people. Um, and these are called the Beatitudes. And, and one of the challenges, I think, when we read it and when we hear this opening to Jesus' talk is that when you say it's the Beatitudes, and we teach that to kids in Sunday school and stuff, we think, oh, this should be my attitude. This is what I'm supposed to be. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, we go, well, I should mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I guess I should be poor in spirit. Like we, we read it as if it is that. Um, and, and, and honestly, that's rather intimidating. Blessed are the, those who mourn? I don't want to mourn. Who wants to do that? Blessed are the poor in spirit. If that's financially poor, I don't want that. If, if poor in spirit means something else, I'm not sure I want that either. Um, and so we, we look at that list and we go, I'm just not like that anyway, nor do I even want to try to be like that. So we just kind of ignore it. We go, well, that was a nice opener. What else you got, Jesus? Like, that was weird. Um, and, so, and we don't take him seriously. But here's the deal. Here's what we're missing. Blessings like that, are, uh, there's two kinds in the ancient world. Um, you will have an instructive blessing and a surprise blessing. So, an instructive blessing is when you would say, almost like a proverb, you would say, Blessed are the wise. It's supposed to teach you something. You go, Oh, being wise is good, and I will be blessed by God if I'm wise. You know, blessed are the healthy, blessed are the wealthy. Whatever it might be, you would say something that is supposed to be instructive, and you go, yeah, I guess if I'm like that, I'll become like that. That makes sense. Um, We do something similar in our culture. We have, like, folksy sayings that we will use that are supposed to teach us something. Early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. That was one from years back, right? What is that saying? If you go to bed early, you get up early, uh, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I don't know if that's 100% true. That's what we say in the saying, though, it's supposed to be instructive. You go, oh, that's a thing to learn and to know. Um, Early bird gets the worm, right? There's one. And that's for all those early riser, alpha, sees the day people who are like, I'm gonna, early bird gets the worm, you know? And it's like, we say that, what what do we mean? If you get up early, you're gonna have the first crack, first opportunity, it's gonna be great. We never say that, we never say that from the perspective of the worm. Um, I think it's a bad deal for him, Uh, honestly, you know? It's like, early worm gets eaten by the bird, uh, for those of you who like to sleep in that should be your thing you're like hey there, there were some early worms they were friends of ours that one guy left I never saw him again I don't know what happened to the worm um, so we have those things that are instructive Jesus had those in his day but before him for about a century or two there were also these surprise blessings where it'd be like actually blessed are something you weren't expecting and this is what Jesus is doing He's looking at who's the crowd. He's looking at people who are broken, downtrodden, downcast, beaten down, poor, frustrated, sick, hurting. He's looking at all of them, and he's telling his disciples, that woman over there is blessed. She's mourning, but there's going to be blessing for her. Something's come. God, God sees her. This person over here is trying to negotiate peace and, and he is a peacemaker and, and, and God is at work in him and the kingdom of God is available to these people. These, this person over here is poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is not like necessarily like, oh, I don't have any money. It's, it, it's more like I'm a spiritual zero. Like, I don't know the right religious things to say. I go to small group and everybody knows the Bible except me. I don't understand. I, I, I feel weird walking into church. Like, spiritual zero, like, I, I, they check none on the religious preference list on a survey. Like, they don't, they don't know what they don't know. They're just happy to be there. Like, okay, this is cool. I don't really understand this whole religious thing. And Jesus goes, is pointing at these people in a sense and going like, hey, there's room in God's kingdom for all of these people. Um, th- th- that God is making a space For them, and if you heard that, if you were in the crowd hearing that, or even the disciples, it's challenging to you. You're going to hear that, and you're going to go, "For real? I'm mourning because I lost a child, and you're telling me that God has blessing for me. This doesn't feel like blessing. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just, I'm dealing with a miscarriage, and you're saying God sees me and knows me and loves me anyway. And 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 this feels horrible, and yet there's there's a space here that that God is at work. These people who are feeling broken and 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 downcast and sad, God Jesus is saying, No, no, there's the kingdom of God is available to you as well. And that sounded crazy to them. And it would sound crazy to us too. Because we're a nation of achievers. We're we're into the idea that you get what you pay for, you work hard, you will, you will achieve and you will receive, uh, you get what's coming to you, and that's kind of the story we tell kids, and it's the story we grow up with, you know, work hard, get the grades, you're going to get all these things, these things will happen, um, which is a cool story until it doesn't work anymore, and then we have to figure some things out, like, oh, they lied to me, or whatever, like, um, there's no job market, it's terrible, whatever, like, this stuff, right, um, but, but I get that we think that blessing from God looks like I, I worked hard and then I got what I deserve. Um, and Jesus comes along and goes, no, nah, it's it's all different than that. Um, there's there's a different way that, that, that we are prioritizing things on the outside, but God is looking at the heart and seeing the interior world and he sees something different and he's able to bless. Um, his kingdom looks very different. Um, and really he's, Starting here by teaching us something about the good life—that the good life is not that house upon the hills, uh, it's not you know Bacardi and the and all the the cars and the, all the things—it's not that. Um, our culture says that. Um, I was listening to years ago. I remember that song by One Republic. You remember? Maybe remember the song "The Good Life" by One Republic. It's um, you know the lyrics. I was—it's a catchy song, and the the lyrics kind of talk about. Um, you know, he he wakes up in London and he doesn't know how he got these pictures on his phone or there's new names and addresses in there. He doesn't know where that came from. And then he's like, this must be the good life. And I'm like, is it though? <laughs> it sounds like hungover and I don't know how great that li-. And then he's like, we're and he's like talking about we're sort of jet setting to China and Colorado and I'm like all over the world, there's all these things happening. And, and uh, that is our cultural perception of the good life. Um, Kanye West also has a song called The Good Life. I just can't quote a lot of the lyrics to you, so we'll just let that one go. Um, but, but there's this cultural idea, this is what it means to have the good life. And Jesus comes along, and he's challenging all of that. And he says, look, blessedness, being blessed by God is going to look different, which is, which is number one. Number one, blessing from God looks different than being blessed by the world. Now, there's an overlap there. Sometimes being blessed from God looks like Things other people would say is blessing, you know? Sometimes you get a bonus check. Sometimes you, you know, you get up, the sun is shining. and it's a wonderful day. Sometimes your children are delightful and like you're, like there are things that feel great in life and, and I, like, like you guys probably do, I, a lot of times I'm like, man, thank God for that. Like, thank God for that sunset. Thank God. Like I, there's overlap of blessings from God sometimes with things we would think of blessings in culture, but it's not a complete overlap. There's some differences. Listen to the way the Beatitudes end. I didn't read these to you, but listen to the last two that he says uh, in verse 10. Blessed are those who, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, that's a little surprising. Blessed are the people who stand up for their faith, for Jesus, and then get made fun of and ripped and unfriended and persecuted in some way, called a Jesus freak, said, you're not allowed to do that here. Why do you believe that? That's dumb. Like, we know better than that now. Like, whatever it is, and that's mild all the way to you know, martyrdom and, and serious forms of persecution happening all over the world today. And Jesus goes, no, um, these people are going to be blessed too. These people, even in their persecution, are going to experience something of my kingdom. And they're going to understand something about the world. And, and God can even work and seize them in, in their persecution and can even work there. Now, that seems ridiculous. Like, is that possible? Is it possible to feel blessed when you're persecuted? And I, I, I've read that and thought it seemed ridiculous as well. Um, but I met a lady in, in the country of Laos in 2001. Laos is right between Vietnam and Cambodia and Thailand. It's this little mountainous country there. And I got to go there in 2001 and 2004. And I was there in 2001, and there was a woman there who, in, in the northwest part of the country in a small village, we got to meet her. And she had just gone over a few months ago. Pre- previous, she had gone to... Um, Thailand. And she went over to Thailand for a a Christian training, almost like a small group leader training. So she was there, she was worshiping Jesus. Thailand is religiously a much more open country. Laos is communist. Me growing up as a child of the Cold War, you know, rolling into the capital city of Laos and they've got big red flags hanging up with a hammer and sickle. And I'm like, oh, they're, they're serious about communism here. They're really into this. Like, this is the thing, you know. So to me, it's a little intimidating. Well, this woman that we met, She had gone to this worship gathering in Thailand, and she comes back to her home in Laos, and she was effectively arrested. She was brought into the the police. And I would think that's an intimidating thing to to go through. Um, And and, and so I remember sitting there talking to her um, and and asking her about it, and and her name was Ba Ui. Don't ask me to pronounce it again. It's all I got. Um, And so we asked her, I remember this so well, she was telling us about being arrested um, and, and when she went into the police station or whatever, they produced a photograph of her in Thailand worshiping and being at this conference. And I don't know how they got it, but they were like, What were you doing? And she's telling them about the gathering and, and the leadership training, small groups, and that kind of thing. So she's telling them about that. This woman's like in her 70s, right? And, um, and I thought, Man, how scary is that? Like, they're going to, the things they could do to her you know, kill her, arrest her, whatever. Like, this, they're holding her in. They've got photos of her somewhere, like, weird. And I remember we asked her, hey, um, were you scared when you talked to these government officials? Like, that's terrifying. Were you scared of them? And I'll never forget, she was like, oh, no, it was through a translator, but she was like, no, no, I was, I was just excited I got to tell them about Jesus. I'm like, what? These people will kill you. She's like, no, it was like a great opportunity. And I I always think about that when I think, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I think, there's something there. She reminds me of the Apostle Paul who in in the New Testament, in the book of Philippians, in chapter one, go read Philippians if you're feeling down, It's, it's a good one. And in chapter one, he's like, I might die, that's fine, I get to be with Jesus. I might live, that's fine, I'll get to help you more. I'm not sure which one's better right now. I'm just, you know, it's so hard to choose, you know. <laughs> like, he's just, uh, man, who is like that? How, do, how, do, how does someone become that person? Um, I think Paul had, I think that lady in, in Laos had it. Um, and I think it's real uh, that that we, can, that we can be people who even see blessedness um, in, in persecution. So, so, so number one, blessing looks different than being blessed by the world. Uh, but number two is this. Blessing of God is for the here and now, not just for when you die. It's for the here and now, not just for when you die. When Jesus taught, the thing he spoke so much about was the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He would say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he would go around and teach that. He doesn't say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is a long way off. He says it's near. It's near. He doesn't say get right with God because one day you're going to die and then there's this heaven and hell choice you gotta you're gonna be faced with and there's gonna be this thing, it's gonna judgment like Yeah, sure, that that stuff's there. But when he's talking about the kingdom, he's talking about right now and 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 where it starts. Um, and he says it was near. One of my favorite uh, writers about the Sermon on the Mount and a lot of other things, a theologian philosopher named Dallas Willard, he wrote a great book. Some of you read it in, in a small group here, The uh, book called The Divine Conspiracy, and he talks about the kingdom of God. And listen to the way Dallas Willard describes the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God reigning. It is present wherever what God wants done is done. It is the range of God's effective will. God's reign is all around you and is from everlasting to everlasting. It is the natural home of the soul. Now, I read that, and I love it, but I'm a little confused by it, honestly, because I go, like, okay, God's reign, the range of his effective will, where what God wants done is done. In the city of Richmond, is there any place where what God wants done is done? Yeah, there's there's some things I can point to and go, all right, the kingdom of God is kind of breaking out over here. The kingdom of God is at work here. Um, This is why Jesus prays in his prayer that we'll look at later uh, on... um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, make down here look like up there. or Your world, God, we want to make that here too. We want to see your kingdom kind of break into these areas. And so that's, that's one way of thinking about it. The way I've tried to think about it is as Americans, we have an American sort of kingdom that we live in. And it's 2020, so we're gonna elect a new leader for the American kingdom. Like that, We're gonna be doing that whole thing this year. And you have to have that. Anytime you have a pluralistic society, a group of people living together, we have to agree on policies and rules and, and make laws and all that. And we have to live by those laws. As Americans, we should do that. We should obey the laws. That's, that's all good and, 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 and necessary. Yes, it gets ugly and there's fighting and all that, but there's a lot of people fighting about what's the best way to do this. But we understand why we have it and we live in that system. I follow the traffic rules. You know, I, I, I obey the law um, but for followers of Jesus we actually live in a different kingdom than that there's this other thing going on that's not America there's this other thing where we have a, a leader who's a king who's Jesus and we have a constitution which is the Bible it's kind of our, our scripture it's the way we the way we we choose to live and that kingdom living as a subset in America that life is uh, Related to, but in many ways, very separate than American life. That our kingdom values are not our American values. Sometimes they overlap, sometimes they don't. The things we believe as followers of God sometimes are completely in contradiction to the things we might believe as Americans or the things that America believes, right? And so um, we need to be aware of that and that when we live in God's kingdom here and now, not just in the future, we live in God's kingdom now, we're going to believe some different things than all of our neighbors. We're going to spend our money differently. We're going to treat relationships differently. We're going to uh, think about work differently. We're going to think about what it means to raise children differently. These are different aspects, and we'll get into more of these in weeks to come, but these are the different aspects of the kingdom life because we believe that the good life is is different than what American culture or, or modern sort of Western culture sells us is what the good life is. Um, and so church has so emphasized heaven when we die that I think we've missed the point that no, when Jesus talked about kingdom heaven he meant something that starts now and we need and, and we, sometimes we miss out on the, the nature of the kingdom now because we're just thinking about death. Um, Dallas Willard died in 2013. In 2012, he was diagnosed with cancer, uh, and he died in May of 2013. And he was, um, I've, I, I got to hear him speak probably in 2003, um, read a lot of stuff, seen a lot of videos of him online. He's very sort of a gentle uh, person um, in his manner of speech. And, um, and when he found out he was going to die, when he found out he had cancer, um, he, there's this great quote from him that, that I love. And I wanted to share it with you. This is what he said. He said, I think that when I die, it might be some time until I know it. And I read that and I thought, that's weird. What does he mean? Like when you die, you're going to be the last one to know? Uh, what is that? But having seen other people sort of explain it, he, he was getting at this kingdom thing that the kingdom of God is not something that's going to start when he dies. It's already started and it's in the life that we're living now. And so, death is just moving into another phase of kingdom living. It is not this radical departure of eternity starts now. And so, he was saying, like, I'm already, I'm already trying to be in this thing. And so, it's going to take a little while before I realize there was this massive change because I'm already trying to live in connection with God, anyway. Um, I thought that's really cool. And maybe you hear that, and um, it sounds crazy to you. And maybe, maybe you're sitting here going, for real. For real, that's what that means. Like, people are dying, and they're but they're living in the kingdom, and all, all this talk. And that might sound uh, just nutty to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's it's hard to get your head around. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today, you might think, yeah, this is when church gets weird. Um, and I get that. Um, but but I think it is real, um, and it, it's interesting. I, I I've experienced this at funerals. I, I probably go to more funerals than the average person does, um, just with what I do for a living, more funerals and weddings for me. Um, but I talked to a guy actually after first service, because I'd said this in first service, and he, he spent his career as an undertaker, he was retired. And he goes, Chris, what you said is exactly right about, about funerals, because what I said was this. I said, uh, my experience has been that when I go to a funeral of someone who knows Jesus and follows Jesus, there is a different level of expectation and joy um, and a feeling of blessedness in it, even in a funeral, which is generally sad. We think of it as sad. There's something different there than when I go to the funeral of someone who doesn't know God. And the way the family reacts about it, I mean, there's just a different thing there. Um, and that ain't nothing. There, there, there's something going on there, and we need to, we need to pay attention to it. Um, now, all of this I've given you, this is stuff to know, Right? You may walk out of here and go like, I'll talk about that over lunch. That was kind of interesting or whatever. And you may think about it this week, and I hope you do. I hope actually you read it and jump into Matthew 5 with us and start reading, reading that stuff and see what Jesus is getting at. But Jesus is going to make it very practical because you, you can, it's not just stuff to know. It's also something to do. And so in the next four weeks, we're going to get into more of like, okay, but Jesus challenges us to now go do something. You are blessed by God now. Here's, here's, what you, here's, one, here's some ways to live that out. Um, and so it's going to get a lot more practical here um, in the next couple weeks as we, as we kind of see how he's challenging us to live differently than the culture that we're in. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for the Sermon on the Mount that is recorded for us and that it challenges us. God, I pray we don't walk out of here going, how can I be more mourning, peacemaking, persecuted, any of that. Um, but we walk out of here going, man, even in the hard stuff, even when I'm going through all these situations, God sees me and knows me and loves me and that the kingdom is available for me even in the spaces that I don't think it is. God, help us to be in 2020. Um, as America's kingdom, we'll get all um, fired up and excited here over this, this year to to be um, electing leadership. Uh, I pray that we are people who are non-anxious, that we are a non-anxious, calming presence and because we... We don't um, put all of our stock in a country's basket, uh, but we are pe- kingdom people who live in a different a different thing, even in America. Um, help us to be that um, with our friends, with our in our homes, with our, our family, our neighbors. Uh, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.